Is there a pain that you're experiencing on a daily basis? And has somebody written a book that can help you overcome that pain? Is there a specific skill set holding you back? You know, the difference between where you are now and where you would like to be. Like, what's holding you back? Can you identify that skill set and can you read a book that will help you develop it more efficiently? I love to ask mentors, people who have a better macro understanding of where I am and they understand some of the things I'm facing from a different perspective and maybe they can make a book recommendation for me. Has an author released a new book, somebody that you know you resonate with, somebody that's written a book that you have gotten something from, like Alex Hormozzi. You know, I'll read every book that he puts out for the rest of time because $100 million offers changed my life and we could talk about that later. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will teach you how to escape Wall Street and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. This is the show for high-earning, busy professionals where we will teach you all about real estate investing without buying yourself another job. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today our guest is Nick Hutchison. Today, you're going to learn about how to turn your lessons from your reading and self-education into actions and results in your life and business. Nick has built a business around helping authors, and today he's helping the readers with his new book, Rise of the Reader. Today, you're going to learn some specific actions that you can implement to read more consistently, to get actionable lessons from the books that you read, and how to turn those lessons into results in your life and business. We go through some very specific examples of actions that Nick has taken in his life and business that has helped him build a multi six-figure income business from those lessons and actions. You're going to learn mistakes that he's made along the way and so much more. If you're dedicating your time to listening to this podcast, to listening to audiobooks, to your self-development through reading books, then turning those lessons into actions and results is well worth your time and attention. That's what we're talking about today. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lode. I'm a multifamily and self-storage real estate investor to date I've acquired, partnered on, or otherwise had a hand in over $250 million of commercial real estate acquisitions. If you'd like to learn more about potentially partnering with us in the future, just go to investwithtaylor.com. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every weekday. Right now, once again, our guest is Nick Hutchison. Let's go. Nick, thanks so much for joining us today. I'm excited to learn what you've learned by hosting your podcast, interviewing some great people, and writing your book about turning what we read into results and action. But before we dive into your book and everything, can you tell us a bit about yourself, your background, and what you do? Sure. So when I was growing up, I was not much of a reader. I was more of uh, I was more of the athlete, less of the academic. And that continued up until my senior year of college. So I went to business school and going into my senior year, I took an internship at a local software company. And my boss at the time, Kyle, he said something along the lines of, Nick, I know you have an hour commute each way. That's a lot of time to listen to music. But here's the thing. Listening to the same song for the 1,000th time won't get you closer to where you want to be in life. You should check out these podcasts. And so I started listening to podcasts and I realized that so many of the successful people that I wanted to be like, they were giving at least some credit for their success to the books that they were reading. So I just kind of had this moment where I realized 
I didn't know everything. You know, I, I had developed a little bit of an ego at the time. I just thought I, I was kind of like that know-it-all annoying guy that was too competitive about everything. So I decided to pick up some of these books, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which I, I see is over your shoulder. That was the very first personal development book I read. And ever since then, I've started a business called Book Thinkers. I have 10 people on my team. We support hundreds of authors a year, helping them promote and market their books. I have a podcast, Book Thinkers, Life-Changing Books, where we interview some pretty cool authors. And uh, I have my first book coming out, Rise of the Reader. So I've realized that my purpose in life is to help people overcome pain and develop skills by introducing them to the right books and the right reading strategies to get more from those books. And uh, yeah, it's a little bit about my background. Awesome. And for the listeners out there, your book, Rise of the Reader, just came out on November 1st after this, or excuse me, before this interview went live just by a couple of weeks. But when we're recording, it's it's not quite out yet. But anyway, you can go pick the book up. It is out and, and available. So let's dive into turning what we learn by reading into action and results, because it's great to read. It's great to listen to these books and think we're learning something. But until we take action, it's just entertainment, right? Education without action is just entertainment. So let's dive into it and talk about how we can do that. So what's the first thing that you have learned about turning education into action and results? Yeah, I have suggestions for every part of the reading process, but I'll give an example. I think, you know, as I built my community and as I interacted with tons of people at events and things like that, I started to notice an issue as far as intention is concerned. So I'd meet somebody and I'd say, hey, Taylor, tell me what you're reading. And you'd tell me. And then I'd say, why? And oftentimes I'm just met with a blank stare. Like, what do you mean, why? So why are you reading the book that you're reading? We need to set a goal for each book. And so I love to follow the SMART goal framework. I love to set a SMART intention for each book that is specific, measurable, attainable, relevant to my life or business, so I'm emotionally connected to the goal, and time-bound. So you mentioned Alex Hormozzi in the beginning. He just threw out, well, offline before he started recording, he just put out $100 million leads. And I think a lot of people are out there reading that book, hoping that it's going to change their life, hoping that they can develop some type of cool lead strategy or something. Here's my approach. I want to set a goal for that book, something like find and implement at least two lead generation strategies for my business by the end of September. And I'm going to write that intention on the inside cover of the book and review it each time I read a few more pages. That goal is specific. Find and implement at least two things. It's measurable too. I know whether or not the book achieved its goal. It's attainable. I didn't say make $100 million by the end of the month. Just find and implement two things. Slow and steady wins the race. It's relevant to my business. I mean... Frankly, we kind of stink at lead generation. And it's time bound, I said, by the end of the month. When I write that on the inside cover of the book and I review it each and every time I read a few more pages, my brain can filter for those two activities to implement. Otherwise, I might get excited about things that are totally unrelated to my goal for the book. So I'm trying to filter for the information that's most useful. And then therefore, I'm likely to take better action from the book. So those are just a, a couple of examples. That's one piece of my framework. And to kind of wrap this up and put a bow on it, maybe once I'm done with $100 million leads, I'll have found 10 or 15 potential actions. But the secret here is that not every action is created equal. 
some of those actions might lead to more change, the 80-20 principle. So what 20% of those takeaways might lead to 80% of the results? Those are the ones I'm going to take action on. And I'll just, I'll end that by saying that the first time I ever read Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, I had a hundred things written down. That's not actionable. That's not attainable. It's overwhelming and therefore analysis to paralysis. You just get stuck in this form of procrastination. I want to make things actionable. I want to take as much action as I can and I want to work on the highest leveraged activities first. I appreciate that. That's fantastic advice. How do you avoid getting distracted in, you know, having many books going at one time and just not focusing on your specific goals and also make sure you're making enough time, dedicating enough time to your education, sitting down, reading these books, because it's easy to get, you know, distracted by your business and life and everything else that's going on out in the world. So avoiding getting distracted and making the time. How do you handle that? Yeah, I've read a lot of books on productivity, time management, prioritization. And what I've learned is that you want to schedule reading time into your calendar. So I love using the following math as an example of how fast these books can change your life. If somebody in the audience simply replaces 15 minutes of their Instagram or TikTok or YouTube in the morning and 15 minutes of their Netflix or HBO or whatever it is in the evening, just 15 minutes twice a day, five days a week, you'll end up with about 100 pages. In 30 minutes of reading per day, that's about 20 pages for a new reader, you know, somebody who's just kind of starting out. Five days a week, that's 100 pages. Most of these books are about 200 pages on average nowadays. People are writing shorter books. So that's a book every two weeks. That's 26 books a year just by replacing something that is meaningless, scrolling on social media or watching Netflix with something that does serve your future self, reading a great personal development book. And so that's the recommendation. Schedule time in your calendar, bookend your day. Bookend, you know, pun intended there too. 15 minutes in the morning, 15 minutes in the evening, not replacing the entirety of social media or Netflix, right? Just 15 minutes. And that's a step in the right direction. You'll develop the habit of consistently reading. You'll start to value these books more because you'll watch them start to change your life, eliminate problems, develop skills, and the rest is history. I mean, once you start that, you'll never look back. Nice. So where do you stand on audiobooks versus physical copies versus say like a Kindle Paperwhite that's still on a digital device. Are they all equally effective? Have we kind of over-indexed toward audiobooks that have just kind of turned into background noise? What are your thoughts on that? 80% of the inputs to our brain are visual. And so when you're all, you know, the other senses make up only 20% of the inputs to our brain. So when you're listening to a book and you're multitasking, the likelihood that you retain and implement something from an audiobook kind of falls through the floor. I love reading physical paper books as compared to ebooks. They're both visual, but I love a physical paper book. It's tangible, it's multi sensory, and there's no opportunity for a distraction like a notification popping up on a Kindle device or on your phone or something like that. Yeah, I'm a big paper book guy. I do still listen to audio because, again, I think that listening to the right podcast or the right book is probably better than just listening to music when you're in the car or you're commuting to work or something like that. But yeah, I think we have uh, focused a little bit too much on the shortcut, right? Listening to a book. I think that a physical paper book is a little bit better. On top of that, when you're reading a physical paper book, yes, it is tangible, but you're also focused 
on one activity. It's monotasking. It's the antidote to multitasking. So you're developing a specific skill set. Cal Newport would call it deep work. The ability to focus your attention for an extended period of time. You're training that skill set, which then becomes transferable to other areas of your life and work. Yeah, I think there are so many benefits to reading a physical paper book compared to just listening or even an e, you know, an e-reader, which I think is it's better than audio, you know, but it's not as good as a physical paper book. Yeah, personally, I go a bit back and forth, but if I'm traveling, you know, the Kindle's kind of hard to beat because it's so small and compact. I know. You take a lot of books with it. Yeah, my it, backpacks so. weigh like a thousand pounds whenever I travel somewhere. <laughs> Selecting the right book for you or, or a right book for where you are in your journey. You may have a, again, to go back to a particular goal you want to set for a book, you know, finding the right thing to read can be tough. How do you approach that problem or recommend folks think about approaching that problem of finding the right book for you where you are at any given moment? In my book, Rise of the Reader, I have a personal inventory, uh, a series of questions that you can ask yourself to generate some good, some good leverage for where you should read next. I'll give you some example questions. So is there a pain that you're experiencing on a daily basis? And has somebody written a book that can help you overcome that pain? Is there a specific skill set holding you back? You know, the difference between where you are now and where you would like to be. Like, what's holding you back? Can you identify that skill set and can you read a book that will help you develop it more efficiently? Are you attending a conference soon where somebody is speaking and they've written a book and by reading that book, you'll have a better understanding of the subject that they're talking about on stage so you can get more from it. I love to ask mentors people who have a better macro understanding of where I am and they understand some of the things I'm facing from a different perspective and maybe they can make a book recommendation for me. Has an author released a new book, somebody that you know you resonate with, somebody that's written a book that you have gotten something from, like Alex Hormozy. You know, I'll read every book that he puts out for the rest of time because $100 million offers changed my life and we could talk about that later. So those are some of the questions that I ask. And I think when you are doing your own research, Amazon's a great place to do that research. What I love to say is toss out the five-star reviews and toss out the one or two-star reviews. Typically, those are emotional and there's not a lot of thought put into them. But the three and four-star reviews, that's where the magic happens. So you can get a better understanding of what somebody thought of the book from a place of logic, not emotion. And typically, there's a lot of gold in there. So you can see if somebody has you know, had a similar expectation of, as you did and, and what they ultimately thought of the book once they were finished. So let's talk about what books have done for you. I mean, you you mentioned Alex Hormozzi's book, $100 Million Offers. Great book. I've read that. I haven't gotten around $100 million leads yet, but $100 Million Offers, what did that do for you? It did a lot. And uh, this might be a spoiler alert for a question later in the podcast about the best <laughs> investment I made, but I really think the best investment I ever made was the $20 that I invested into $100 million offers in the couple of hours that I spent reading and going through the exercises in the book. So at the time of my reading, Book Thinkers, my business, I had, I had hit a couple of bottlenecks, right? I was selling book promotions through social media. I was helping authors promote their books from behind the scenes. The average deal size was about $1,000 per deal. And I, I had a bottleneck. I couldn't post more than once per day on social media without ruining my own engagement. 
And so I, I dove into the book and I was looking for a way to five or 10 X my average deal size. I was looking for a way to improve my offer, but also maybe think about some different services that my business could offer. So as I'm going through and I'm whiteboarding and I'm journaling and I'm really, I'm, I'm taking advantage of everything that Alex suggests and I'm building out my value equation. I found a new service. It was about 10 times the average deal size compared to what I was previously offering. And I was like, I don't know if this is going to work, but let me build an offer around it and see. And I started to sell it like crazy. So I generated an additional six figures of revenue in a small business within a few months of implementing $100 million offers. So that $20 generated hundreds of thousands of dollars of revenue for my business in less than six months. No exaggeration, that's exactly how it happened. And I use that example as the best investment I've ever made, you know, but also what a book can do for you. Because again, these books are condensing somebody else's lived experience, decades of it, into days of reading. The best advice they have, and it's a shortcut. And if you choose to implement effectively using intention and things like that, magical things happen, man. Nice. So... I've been, as I mentioned before we started recording, I'm in the rough draft process right now of writing my first book about passive syndication investing. And through this process, I have hired people to help me, but I am actually writing the book. I didn't hire a ghostwriter. I talked with them, but ultimately I wanted it to be my message and my voice. And the best way to get that is to just do it. But what that highlighted to me is, is frankly, how much ghostwriting is out there happening, I think producing lower quality content. As an expert in the book space, what are your thoughts on that, on the kind of prevalence of ghostwriting? And I'm not trashing all ghostwriting, certainly some of it is good, but the prevalence of you know poor quality stuff, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, just like you, I was given the opportunity to have somebody assist me with my writing and I chose to do it myself. Number one, I learned a lot in that writing process. It was cathartic and I was able to define so many things that had previously been undefined in my life by putting pen to paper. It was very hard. A shortcut could have been ghostwriting, but as a result, I think I wrote a better book. When I first got into the space, I was unaware of how much ghostwriting was happening. And, you know, I'd look at authors like, Robert Kiyosaki. Robert didn't write Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Sharon Lecter yep, did. True. And, you know, I, I think that that blissful ignorance, it helped me develop a relationship in my head with a lot of these author mentors that was a little unrealistic. And I, I pictured these people as different than they actually are. I won't spoil any names, but I'll tell two stories quickly <laughs> that give me more respect for people who write their own books. One, I was at this guy's house Big time author, contributed to many, many, many books, millions of followers, the whole nine yards. And we were sitting at his kitchen table and somebody came into the room and complimented one of his books. They said, hey, you know, when you wrote XYZ, that changed my life. And he laughed and he said, I didn't write that. I didn't write any of my books, but I appreciate the quote, man. And, and I just, you know, he probably thought it was cool. I lost all the respect for him in a minute oh. because... There's something about somebody writing something personal to them versus just marketing a book, right? The other thing, I went on a walk with an author who does write her own books. It was about a two or three hour walk. And I was asking about the book industry. I was kind of new to it. And she was telling me about all these major A-list authors who have their books ghostwritten for them by one other major A-list author who provides some of these services behind the scenes. And again, I just 
when you understand that somebody didn't write their own material, I think you develop less of a relationship with them. So, yeah, I think it's better to write your own book for sure. And I think artificial intelligence is another form of ghostwriting that it does more harm than good. I will say for somebody who has a learning disability, is super busy and couldn't write the book by the by themselves because of priority or whatever, sometimes it's better for them to get a message out than no message out, even if it's ghostwritten or they leverage artificial intelligence. But still, like, yeah, without rambling anymore, I'm definitely more of a fan <laughs> if somebody writes their own book and speaks their own audiobook into existence too. I totally agree with that. The the personally narrated audiobook, for the most part, probably 99% of them, are so much better when they're done by the author. I think I've heard, but I haven't listened to Stephen King's audiobooks are not very good is what I've heard, but it's kind of the exception more than the rule. So before we move on to the three questions I ask every guest in the show, you've been in this industry helping people in the space for over seven years. You have a pretty significant following, but this book that you wrote that just came out, you know, it's kind of been a while that you've been in the space. What took you so long to write a book, if you'll, you know, and to entertain the question? Yeah, it's a great question. A couple of things. Number one, a little bit of imposter syndrome. Am I old enough to write a book? I mean, yes, I have a following, but do I need to make bazillions of dollars first and, you know, be on Oprah and stuff like that? So I think I suffered with a little bit of that. I'm 29 years old. And eventually I did overcome that by realizing if if the book can help somebody who's just one or two steps behind me, if I can offer some value to that young, motivated professional who just wants to get more from the books they're reading and create more success, faster success, like I have tons of things that I can offer that person. And so eventually I did get the book out there. The other thing is as a time pressured business owner who has a growing business and managing employees and customers and stuff, it, it would continue to fall in, in the priority list. I thought because I'm so disciplined with my morning routines and everything like that, that I could just set aside an hour a day and it would just happen. But it didn't happen like that. It, it consistently fell in terms of priority. And there would be months where I wouldn't get any good writing done. And then I'd have some type of inspiration, like somebody from my community would say, Nick, I need this book, you know, in different <laughs> words than that, but help me implement. And so I'd, you know, then I'd get back on the writing train. I can understand that. If you think it's hard to set time aside to read books, wait until you try to write one. It's even harder to set that time aside and take the daily actions required. But appreciate all of your inspiring knowledge today. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. All right, Nick, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Yes. First one, what is the best deal you've ever done or the best investment you've ever made other than in your education. I will jump back real quick and say the investment in $100 million offers by Alex Hormozzi. But since I've already told that story, I'll tell a different story. The investment in Rich Dad Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. I decided to read that book. It was the first book that I ever read. I spent four or five hours of my time, maybe 15 or $20. And as a result, I have a business. I have a purpose. I love my life. I enjoy every single aspect of it. And that's because he introduced me to the world of personal development. So I'm not his biggest fan, but I'm a huge fan of the book that he decided to write with Sharon and promote and publish because, man, that book changed my life. And as a result of that book, I've invested in a few multifamily properties. I invest in my business. I invest in my own education. 
So I don't know if that's a, a cheap answer or not, but I really do think investing in these books, you know, they're the best, it's the best form of ROI that you can possibly get. Love it. So we had the best, every best has a worst. Now we go to question number two. What is the worst deal you've ever done or the worst investment you ever made? When I was a recent college graduate, just starting Book Thinkers, I got with a couple of friends and we invested tens of thousands of dollars and hundreds of hours of our time into building a mobile application for readers. Spoiler alert, it never came out. It was not successful. That was the worst investment I ever made because again, as a recent college graduate without much money, I spent every dollar I had trying to make that thing a reality and it didn't work. That's tough, but you found another opportunity, another way to, to make a big impact and a solid return. So you still made it work. You weren't discouraged. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? Well, I'll, I'll continue with that story I was just telling. I mean, I learned that failure is just part of the process and the faster you can fail, the faster you can learn. Growing up in the U.S. public education system, I think a lot of us are taught that failure is a bad thing. We're taught to avoid getting bad grades. We're taught to avoid failing in front of the class during a school presentation or else you'll be made fun of. And that creates a lot of anxiety. It also creates a disinterest in further reading, like once you graduate high school and college, because you're being forced to read things you're not really interested in. So what have I learned? I've learned that failure is part of the process. When you expect failure, it hurts a little bit less. And that when you look at failure through the lens of finding opportunities and, and learning what didn't work and iterating and finding new things that can work, it's such a beautiful part of the process. I've learned that failure is where everything happens. It's where all of the magic is. And so I think that's the biggest lesson so far. If I could go back and like tap 10-year-old Nick on the shoulders, I'd probably say, dude, failure is part of the process. Who cares what society and school tells you? Fail as often as possible and you'll be better off as a result. I love it. Nick, thanks so much for joining us today, sharing all this knowledge. If folks want to learn more about you, if they want to find your book or anything like that, where can they track you down? You know, my favorite thing to do is play book matchmaker. So if anybody wants a custom <laughs> recommendation from me, DM me at bookthinkers on Instagram. It's spelled just like it sounds. Maybe you could throw it in the show notes, Taylor. And mm -hmm. I, I just love helping people solve problems, develop skill sets or anything in between. So People out there, feel free to DM me, ask me for a book recommendation. I'll probably ask some follow-up questions and I'll even try to hold you accountable to reading it. And from there, you can check out the links in our bio and, and find everything that you need. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing all of this knowledge. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every weekday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.